Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Can we fly like birds or will we end up in free fall? Join us for the message, The Birds of the Air. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Sometimes we may want to ask ourselves, can we fly like birds or will we end up in free fall? Well, join us for our message later on the birds of the air. I'd also like to invite you to make an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org, through our church center app, or through the old-fashioned method of just writing a check to the church. We have two scripture readings this morning. Both come from the Gospel of Matthew. The first is from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with the 25th verse. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life or add one cubit to your height? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And from Matthew chapter 7, beginning with the 7th verse. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of God for the people of God. Last Monday, I had lunch with Kimberly Simpson, our new communications coordinator. And I was very pleased to find out that she is a fellow NFL football fan. The real question is which team? I was about to say that. She has her own very strong ideas of what, what the Cowboys are doing right and what they're doing wrong. As you all know, I'm a very big football fan. I know whenever that the hellish heat of August starts to get me down, I remember that these 100-degree temperatures of a Texas summer are always going to be followed by football season. And I just know this is going to be the year the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Ye of little faith. You're right. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, in addition to football, I always, uh, always enjoy watching the Olympics as well. And it amazes me to watch athletes at the absolute tops of their respective fields come together and put it just all on the line. Just a lifetime of work coming down to this all-or-nothing contest of just seconds or inches or oftentimes much less than that. Well, I was fairly athletic as a kid, but nothing near that particular level. But even if I had possessed the physical ability to compete at that level, I know that I lack the personality or the mindset to be an Olympian because I could never be that focused or single-minded about anything. In fact, one of the reasons that I love ministry as a profession is there's really so much variety to the work. In a, in, there's so many facets to my job. I, in any one week, I could find myself researching and writing a sermon, or sometimes I find myself just straightening the chairs that are here in the sanctuary and everything in between. Well, watching elite athletes, though, brings to mind a very important lesson I learned when I was 15 years old and I was skiing down a mountain. Back in the church where I grew up, each year the high school and college students would go on an annual ski trip. And each year we had several people on the trip for whom it was their first time on skis. Well, already being fairly athletic, on my first trip I picked up skiing a little bit quicker than the other beginners. But regardless, a beginning skier spends a lot of time on their butts. Falling, wiping out, the body takes a real beating. I was 15, so I could take it. But you have, if you have not learned to snow ski by the time you're in your 20s, don't bother because you will break something. As I learned to ski on that first trip, I discovered that I usually went much faster than the other beginners. Now, partly it was because I found out that I liked going fast, but it was also because as a beginner, I just didn't have very good control of my speed. And so often I would be hurtling down the mountain and I would start going really fast and then I'd begin to panic that I was going too fast and then I would wipe out. And I, I eventually began to realize, however, that I never wiped out until I began to panic. And so it began to occur to me that maybe the anxiety was more responsible for my wipeouts than the speed itself. So the next time I felt I was going too fast and I, I felt the anxiety rise within me, I tried to just become aware of what was happening, be aware of my feelings, take a measured breath, and just will myself to relax. And at that point, I found that I could stay upright and then slowly decrease my speed. And this was really, this has stayed with me since I was 15 because this ended up being really one of the most important lessons of my life. Because I learned that sometimes the real adversary is the anxiety itself rather than whatever is causing the anxiety. And this can be true as we face the larger issues of life, just as true as when we're uh, learning how to ski. But it is one thing to worry about falling while we're skiing. And it's quite another to worry about whether or not one has enough food or enough clothing to cover your body. Even more so in ancient times, worry and anxiety have come to characterize our modern and increasingly postmodern world. 
And sometimes I even wonder if the choice not to worry about food and clothing is really just a privilege for those of us who live in the first world. Nonetheless, we still find our own ways to worry about food and clothing in today's world. I think it is a supreme irony that for most of the history of this planet, people have worried about not having enough to eat. And yet in our time, people having too much to eat is the far larger problem. And as for clothing, the size of the average American's wardrobe would have been the envy of the typical medieval noble. And yet we still manage to worry about having the right kinds of clothing and whether or not we'll, be, we'll appear fashionable or not. Yet Jesus tells his contemporaries who ran a very real risk of not having enough food and clothing, yet he tells them not to worry. And he reminds them that by worrying, they cannot add one hour to their lives or one inch to their height. And he's absolutely right. And it is undeniably true in our time as it was in his. In fact, in our time, we now know that anxiety can affect our health and actually shorten our lives. And it can shortly, uh, certainly diminish our enjoyment of that life. Well, Jesus tells us to look at the birds of the earth and consider the lilies of the field. The birds neither reap nor sow, the lilies neither toil nor spin, yet God takes care of them. And how much more will God take care of you? He even says, indeed, your heavenly Father knows what you need, uh, knows that you need all these things. And a little bit earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. But we have to acknowledge it's not as simple as that. As we explored in our recent sermon series on prayer, Prayer is not magic. We don't just simply ask God for all of our needs and wants to be met, and then we sit back and wait for God to deliver. Praying is a lot more about nourishing our relationship with God than it is about manipulating God to do what we want, which means that sweeping away our worries and anxieties is far easier said than done. And ultimately, we're going to find ourselves having to go spiritually much deeper. Because you see, underlying our fear and anxiety is the more elemental emotion of fear. We worry because we, uh, we, worry because we fear. Our worries and our anxieties stem from fear. We fear not having enough. We fear that what we do have will be taken away from us. We fear that we're going to be found and judged inadequate by others. We fear the future. We fear for our families. We fear for our nation. We fear the unknown. We, in fear, we fear chaos and a life that is ultimately going to be unpredictable. And in our fear, then, we search for certainty. And when we demand certainty, we can become someone who, who instills fear in others. Because as history has shown us, when fears go unchecked, we end up with concentration camps and gas chambers and mass graves. So how do we deal with all the worry and anxiety when we know going in that the thing that we fear most might indeed still come true? After all, Jesus says to look to the birds and the lilies, but birds can still starve to death. And lilies, as Jesus acknowledges, may still be thrown into the fire. 
So I think we need to recognize this very fundamental truth. God is not interested in making us feel safe and secure. God is not interested in us feeling safe and secure. God wants us to learn to find peace and security in Christ, even as we face head-on whatever fears or uncertainties present themselves. Yesterday, I had this great pleasure of meeting with a group of fellow Christians who have a special interest in the intersection of theology and science, which is one of my major loves. But most of the people in this group came from much more conservative religious backgrounds than I, and they had been on a journey where to embrace science meant that they had to seriously rethink their personal theologies. There's even a word that has recently come into use to describe this process of breaking down old beliefs. And that word is deconstruction. Some of you may have heard of this or read articles about this. But as beliefs that have previously gone unquestioned confront new realities, people can enter a state where they begin to question or deconstruct or perhaps even begin to lose their faith. And this loss of certainty, this deconstruction, can be very disorienting. It can feel like going into an intellectual and spiritual freefall. And in our group's discussion, we used a variety of metaphors to describe this feeling. Uh, one, of, one of the fellows in there uh, used the very common metaphor of the slippery slope. Sometimes we fear that if we question even one of our beliefs, if we take even one step, away from that edge where we planted ourselves, then we're going to start down that slippery slope where everything we believe starts to crumble underneath our feet and we'll fall headlong down that slope till we crash at the bottom, bereft of the faith that used to hold us up and reassure us. Or one that I brought up. Imagine wading into the ocean now, we don't have to stray too far from the shore. We don't want to stray too far from the shore for fear of the deep. We may not be able to see underneath the surface, but at least we can feel the sand beneath our feet. But if we insist on going deeper, if we insist on continuing to question our long-held beliefs, we're going to come to the point where if we take one more step, then our feet will no longer touch the bottom. And then we become subject to being swept from the shore, perhaps even being caught in an undertow. So to question your faith, you'll find yourself being pulled out to sea. One woman compared the deconstruction of her faith as if she was falling into a dark and bottomless pit. And there was nothing to hold on to. She was in the complete dark and she was just sure that eventually she was going to crash on the rocks below. But as she was free falling... She says that in her mind's eye, she looked to her side and she found that Jesus was holding her hand. She wasn't falling alone. And in her mind's eye, that bottomless pit became a glorious flight through outer space, hand in hand with Jesus, who was laughing and enjoying the ride. I loved that image, by the way. And that is the essence of what our faith offers. If we reassess our beliefs which we're going to have to do if we ever want to grow, 
if we give up our demand for certainty, we do know that we don't have to do it alone. If we take that first step down the slippery slope, as we let our feet leave the ocean floor, as we take that leap of faith into a limitless space, Christ is going to go with us. This is the essence of our faith. Indeed, faith is the embrace of uncertainty because faith is the opposite of certainty. To have faith is to embrace uncertainty, believing that God is never going to let us go. It's the faith we're called to, both individually and as a congregation. After telling his hearers not to worry, Jesus says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but strive for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think in many ways, when I look back the last two and a half years here at Trinity, we've been going through our own kind of deconstruction. And we've had to watch as a burglar broke in and stole or destroyed almost all of our AV equipment. We've been through together the greatest pandemic in a century. We've suffered as our church has flooded and rendered completely unusable for almost a year. We have mourned as we have lost some of our most beloved members and most effective leaders, either through death or relocation. We really shouldn't have survived. Most any other church would have folded after all we've been through, but we're still here. And through all that uncertainty, we have kept the faith and we may feel as if we are in free fall, but Jesus has had our hand the entire time. And I've said this a few times recently, but I'm becoming increasingly convinced that the survival of Trinity has been a miracle. And that God must intend that we continue to serve the kingdom of God from this location. Now there's nothing wrong with grieving for what we've lost... But we must not be so focused on how things used to be, about how God has truly blessed us in the past, that we lose our focus on how God is blessing us now. Trinity going forward is not going to look like the Trinity of the past. It's going to look like what God intends for our future. What we're called to do is to seek the kingdom of God first. And whatever God has planned for us, that's going to be given to us as well. We just must keep asking and keep knocking and keep seeking. God has gifts to give us as long as we give up our idea of what those gifts are supposed to look like. As long as we give up on uncertainty, we give up uncertainty and we embrace the free fall. One of my favorite verses is from the first epistle of John. Perfect love casts out all fear. God's perfect love can cast out our fear. And when God casts out fear, then we are free indeed. Free from anxiety and worry. When God casts out our fear, we leave certainty behind. And we're going to soar like birds flying there on the breath of God. Amen. And so now with the confidence that we have as the children of God, let's offer the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Remember that you can always find a recording of our service on our Facebook page, on our website, tumcd.org, or the audio recording on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Continue to thank God for three things every day. And now receive this benediction. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all things will be given to you. Then give your neighbor their daily bread just as God feeds the birds of the air and all of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue our sermon series based on the Sermon on the Mount as found in the Gospel of Matthew. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.